Hi, my name is Bruce Perham. Welcome to my podcast series, Trauma from the Frontline. In this series, we'll be interviewing a wide range of people that work in the frontline industries who will be sharing their professional and personal thoughts and ideas about working in the field and some of the challenges that they all confront. Hi there. Um, Today I've got Maggie with me. Uh, Maggie was a correction officer for 11 years up to um, about four years ago when when she uh, left. So today I'm going to talk to her about her experiences as a correction officer and um, we'll we'll hear what what Maggie has to share. Maggie, when when did you first start to think, maybe I might look at being a correction officer? Um, It was back in... um sort of 2017, um, I was working in another sort of person-facing role and I'd been doing that for about 11 years and started to feel burnout. And I had a friend of mine that went to the information night and and he said, you know, oh, this would be great, like you'd, you'd love it and you know, it's right up your alley. And I went, oh, I've got nothing to lose, that I'll apply. Uh, so a few sort of brave red wines and, and did my application and then got a call two days later to say, we've got your application. And I went through the process and um, and then started literally two months later, started my training. So so how did you find the training? I, I don't think it prepares you, to be quite honest. Um, I can tell you all about policies and procedures. Um, I became very good at that, um, which, you know, helps to a degree – um, and you have some short time where you're doing sort of you're on site and you're you're shadowing somebody else, but it d- definitely didn't set me up for when you're sitting there and you're like, oh, hang on, it's it's me, <laughs> and you're looking around for someone more responsible. <laughs> and you're going, hang on, they're not and here, you're, and you're it. You're it, and you know you don't have someone standing next to you when you're having conversations with prisoners, or you know I guess to guide you through. Um, so it's a bit of, I guess, a bit of guesswork. And I think going into it, I was, you know, at the time kind of um, a bit closer to 30. Um, so I think it's that um, little bit of extra, I guess, like maturity. And I'd come from working in an environment where, um, you know, very responsible role and, and, and background. So I think that definitely helped sort of guide me to, I guess, that day-to-day um, sort of stuff and that overall kind of understanding and importance of the role. Um, but I remember going through training and it was a general manager from another location said, you know, it's uh, being an officer is a, you know, it's a pendulum, um, you know, sort of welfare and sort of security. And, and that was kind of it. And, you know, sometimes you, you swing a bit more one way and sometimes you swing a bit more the other. But I guess that was the only time that really, I guess, it were even spoken to about, you know, how how things can change. Nothing about our own emotions um, or nothing about sort of, you know, supporting each other and, and recognising, you know, burnout and fatigue and stress and um, critical incidents and um, there was nothing. There was nothing during my entire time. Um, it was simply... You know, you'd, you'd have an incident or something would happen and it'd be like, oh, have you got the number for EAP? You know, and a manager would throw a card in your hand. And then that environment where you go, no, nah, I'm good. 
And then those EAP cards would, you know, build up in a rubbish bin um, because that's just the culture. So how did you find that, you know, in a way you would have done the training and not really knowing much about the Mm. work? In those early months, you know, what sense did you make of the culture of, um, of what you'd stepped into? If I used like, you know, there's a, a saying that goes around, it, it ain't weak to speak in terms of mental health these days, but it was very much you were seen as weak. Yeah. To, it was, you, you're weak to speak. So, you know, you, you'd have an incident and something would happen. It would be a critical incident. Um, but then you look around and you're kind of looking around going, oh, how am I supposed to feel or how am I supposed to behave? Everyone just gets on with it. Like nothing's happened. So you go, oh, okay, well, that's just... That's what I've got to do. That's just what I've got to do. And you, you put up this, um, I don't know, this kind of wall. And, and I used to I used to get changed when I got to work. Um, so the way that I kind of dealt with my day was that I got changed at the end of the day. So I was taking work off. And it was that my sort of psychological kind of step that I made to try and separate home and, and work, that's how I dealt with it. Um ultimately and I remember my I remember my first EAP session and it was in I'd sort of been in the role for about six months and um, it was a suicide and it was it was almost like it was an option like to talk to EAP Um, it was like oh they're here but you know if you don't want to that's okay they're just over there and and I went in and I was like oh I'm here like I'll, I'll go in like I hadn't sort of really had someone there at the at the time. <clears throat> um, and I remember, like, being asked, you know, what's your plans, you know, when you go home at the end of the day? And I was like, oh, I'm trying to work out if I go for red wine or white wine. <laughs> like, you know, why not both? Um, and then that was kind of it. There was no sort of follow-up from a manager. There was no kind of follow-up from my peers. We'd all been through this, like... Yeah, someone's just died. Mm. Oh, I've never, I hadn't come across that before. Um, but actually, no, I mean, I did have one manager that said, you know, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm fine. Like, I feel okay. And he, he said, he goes, it may not be this one that affects you. It could be the 10th one. Um, and he was very right. <laughs> yeah, so I was just thinking, though, that at, at that point in time, that yeah. that probably wasn't, overly helpful um, no. as in, well, you know, by the time I get to the 10th one, who knows. <laughs> but did you feel that um, that for you internally this was a major experience? Um, this is something that's major to me. And yet I, I like the way you said, but I looked around and everybody else is just... Just get on with yeah, it. We, we, this is what we do. They're just sort um, of like, you know, or when can we open up the unit? When can we, you know... It was when can we sort of get on with it? Like it was this big inconvenience. Mm. And that was, you know, geez, 14, nearly 15 years ago. Mm. I still remember his face. Yes. And I still remember how I felt at that moment. I I remember having to, you know, hold him um, and while somebody sort of helped sort of get him down. And I remember in a moment where the person that was asked to do that was a lot shorter than me. And I remember like in the moment and I was told, you know, you hold and 
um, this person having to be sort of like hoisted up to be able to reach and there was a, it was just a comedic moment where you go, hang on. Like, this isn't, is this really happening? Is this really happening? Like this is, but I remember, I remember feeling that coldness and I felt that the entire day and it wasn't until I took my shirt off at the end of the day that I felt warm again. Right. But I still remember, I still remember that. I remember the face yeah. and I remember the feeling. And, and you know, I often think if officers are honest with themselves, so do they all. 100%. <laughs> but um, it's just that, as you said, you know, that um, even if I do, I, I'm, I'm not going to to share it. When you did get home, I mean, um, you know, what? how did you start to try and, well, did that really happen or how do I no, deal with that? It was, it was sort of that processing going, oh, you know, this is just part of it. And I was like, oh, okay. Like I hadn't been involved in something like to that calibre before. Um, so it was kind of like processing that and sort of like mm. almost like um, pulling back on emotions and it's like, okay, you have a moment and you go, that's, that, that was a bit messed up and that's not quite right and, oh, okay, oh, I've got work tomorrow. That's how it is. That's just how it is. Yeah. So early on you start to okay it. You start to okay that it's um, that you don't talk about this sort of stuff and that you don't really support each other and there was no kind of phone call that night or – um, and even from, I guess, from a management level and, you know, and this was kind of went on through my whole career where they might walk past you in the corridor and go, are you okay from yesterday? But they've already, yes, like on. they're already at the next door. So straight away you go, well, you don't give a shit because actually if I turned around and said to you, actually, no, I'm not, I don't think I'm necessarily going to get a decent response. I think it'll be that card shoved in my hand mm. and it's that, oh, well, I've done my job. Yes, I've, I've done that. Look, I, my, my sense, um, you know, I try to make yeah. sense of what I hear and what I see um, because a lot of the officers, like the seniors, yeah. they've all been through it themselves yep. um, and, and they know, you know, and they won't have forgotten those faces either no. of their, their early years. Is it sort of um, that the more you move up the hmm. ranks, the further away you get from actually having to, to deal with it? Um, and that's just a sense. No one's ever said that yeah, to me. No officers have ever said, I don't want to deal with this anymore. But it's the only way I can make sense of that kind of, well, yeah, I know you're new and it might have been tough for you. Are you okay? And then move on or keep walking yeah. down the corridor. Do, do you think they didn't want those conversations? I think they didn't know how to have didn't those conversations. Have I think that's probably the biggest thing. I've had some truly amazing managers within corrections that um, have really impacted me um, in a positive, some in a negative, but... Um, and some that I've remained in contact with. Um, that I think they're just, you know, such good people. Who could connect with what you were experiencing? Yeah, to a degree. But it was almost like there was um, a lot that was unspoken. It was just that, that recognition, yep, you've gone through something, I've been through something, but I don't know how to talk about it. And I think that when people sort of tend to move up, or there's no 
there's no training or there's no support given to even from a I mean it should be at all ranks and at all levels but um, is is actually having those conversations you know when you say to somebody are you okay and they go yeah 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 and you know it's a brush away you go hang on but are you really okay and then if someone says actually no you know we you ask prisoners every day, you know, are you okay? Do you have any suicidal self-harm ideation? You know, very open conversations with, with prisoners and you're wanting them to respond but not with each other. And I just, when I look back now and I go, that's just not right. Like, um, but I think a lot of a lot of managers within sort of corrections have come from through the ranks and I think they're, they're already dealing with their own trauma. Mm-hmm. So I think like taking on somebody else's is perhaps a bit, a bit much. And I think for some managers, maybe that they've made that choice to go to move up in the ranks because then they are removed from that. You're not there. They turn up once everything's done, you know, so they don't sort of come across that. And I think a lot of them that have been in the system for years and, and still are, I think for them being really honest and open could really benefit and I think help drive that culture change. And, you know, I kind of like and, you know, sort of corrections, you kind of go 1% of the time we're really backing each other and, you you know, you have an incident and you're all in. You're all in and it's this amazing team and you kind of look around and you know who's there and you, you feel supported and then, then you go back to throwing sand in each other's faces. That's... That's how it is. And then you'll have, you know, people coming up going that weren't even there. Oh, if that was me, oh, this is what I would have done or what I, you know, it's I've had a similar incident or, you know, I've never had issues with that person or whatever it is. So then it's that constant where you're constantly questioning yourself. Mm. So then you almost become so void of emotion and you go to the point when I left where I went, nothing shocked me. Nothing shocked me. Um, I mean, I had someone that was literally biting chunks of their own flesh and handing them to me. And it was like they were handing me a chocolate bar. Mm. Like it was just, and you go, I say that, I say that. And I, you know, I see your face and like, (laughs) but at the time you go, okay. So what's happening there to be able you know, obviously over time, yeah. but to did, did you look at yourself and go, what's happening or? Um, After ha- I left. How, how am I now at that point that I don't even see that as being unusual? After I left and I'm undergoing um, studies at the moment and one of the subjects <laughs> that I'm doing is um, work within a stressful environment. <laughs> and I'm like, some oh, personal knowledge of I've that. been you know, being able to you know, bang out the assignments really well. And it was, you know, I'm in a classroom with, you know, 18 and 19 year olds and, you know, you have to recount, you know, a stressful time. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> and I'm putting things in. And my, my teacher, um, she's like, I read your assignment. She goes, I haven't marked it yet, but oh my God. Mm. Um as she works in mental health. So, you know, there's a level of kind of understanding there. 
But she's like, you know that that's not right. <laughs> I'm like, I know that now. Mm. Um, sort of that that reflection, and you know, and um, other thing, you know, another subject that I'm doing as well is reflection. So, which I think, if I'd had that working in corrections, um, is every you know, and it's very much focused on when something happens, or you have an incident, or something doesn't go well. Even when something goes good, is being able to step back, and you know, it's a it's called the Gibbs model of of reflection, and going through it. It might be writing it down mm. in your head or whatever it is, and going back on the moment, and that's when you kind of go, "Hang on, oh, this is not right." Or actually, no, hang on, I did that really well. Or however you may need it, and I think even just just things like that, just something small. I think from from prison officer training, um, you know, and having that really reinforced throughout is just that that self reflection is so important and so key. Um, because I think if you're doing that from early on, that you're actually identifying that maybe those moments where you go, actually, I'm not okay, or um, this is completely whack, this environment. Mm. And um, and I think, you know, I, I ran ran a squad and I remember looking at you know, the 30 faces and you're, you're selling a lie, like, you know, and I've – I've gone and done information nights and, you know, you've got all these people that are coming in and they're going, yeah, I want to be a prison officer. It's going to be great and I can help and rehabilitation and the same lies that I was told and you, you, you're selling it again. And then there was like a few people that I trained that I've watched over time. You just watch the change and you watch how their personality changes and how those four walls become their life. Mm. Um and you just go, wow. And you, you almost, and I, I certainly felt that sense of responsibility of I did that. Like I should have done more or I should have said something or, um, you know, should have checked in more. So you kind of, you take that on. Or certainly I did, you know, you, you take that on a bit yourself. Mm. Um, but then I think you just sort of, you, you're so messed up yourself or you're so kind of. yeah. You almost, I think, after after a while, you sort of become a bit void of not emotion, but just awareness. Like, because you're constantly, you're constantly already sitting within that fight or flight mode, and you're you're sitting on like, you know, I guess a certain level of adrenaline, kind of waiting for something to happen. You're so reactive that I think everything else, you just don't have that moment to sort of sit back and go. Hang on, so it's almost you're on the high alert all the time. All the time. And so, and look, often officers say to me when they do the hot debrief mm. or they've got to write up um, <laughs> the incident that, which, you know, we all know that has yeah. to be done, um, but it really messes up that processing or that, because they're retelling the trauma, but in a, um, what's the word, a factual way or I did yeah. this or I did that or don't really tell us what his face looks like, just, you know, did you cut him down with two hands or one hand? That's... Um, and, and, uh, and it just, it, 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 it officers, I'm sorry, does a lot of damage but it has to be done. But is that, that what you're saying, that, that you're going through emotional turmoil because of what... Yeah. You, but there's no space to deal with the emotion. There's nothing. There's. It's um, not like you've got this incident that just 
that happens. Um, I, I had an incident where um, that that's uh, lots of incidents, but this one in particular where a man um, he'd been in twenty three hour lockup um, for two years, and he um, he'd had a, a sharpener blade um, hidden in his dreadlock for that entire time, and um, on that two year anniversary date, um, cut his own throat mm. from ear to ear. And, um, you know, cut his wrist and cut his abdomen. He's so just, I've never seen so much blood. And you're dealing with kind of with that. And, and honestly, at that time, you're trying to keep him alive. He was going, I don't want medical treatment. I'm like, hey, let's have a chat. And, you know, do you mind if I just, you know, just pop something over the neck there because your, your voice box is a bit distracting and, um, you know, you can see everything. And um, I remember I just, you know, towels and towels just soaking up blood from his hair. And to this day when I see dreadlocks. You think of that. I think of him. And you go, far out, I can't stand them. I can't. Like I just go, I remember that moment again. Mm. But nobody spoke to me about that. about that. All management wanted me to do was write a report. You know, and then, you know, able to get him off into the, you know, into the ambulance and, and all of that. And so he left. And you do, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, that's, that's a person. Um, and all I could think about was, did he live? Like, has he, has he survived this? Like, and so I was like, and then you kind of had that moment, you go, what the fuck? How the fuck does somebody get to that point? where they are just so frustrated with the system that they do that to themselves. Um, Because he didn't do it because of suicide ideation. He did it because no one was listening Mm. because I spoke to him in that moment. Um, But all management was, I need a report, need a report, need a report. I fucking covered in blood here, but okay. You know, let me go get changed and I'll, I'll get you a report. And... We had the debrief, I remember, and I was angry. I was so angry and um, we had a, a manager that was that was sitting in the room. I remember just standing up and pointed at him. I said, this is your fucking fault. I said, I hope, I hope to see your ass sitting in the chair at the coroner's court explaining why the fuck you didn't do anything. Um and in that moment, I went into like just pure like prisoner advocacy mode. And I think the people in the room that, and we kind of, it was probably different to other other incidents that I'd had where we did check in on each other. We were like, hey, you okay? You're like, no. Um, but I remember just being so angry, just so angry at that particular manager because I thought he had no, no idea anyway. I, didn't have that respect for him at all because I'd um, had other incidents with him. But it was just like, and I think I think perhaps my whole mindset would have been different. And it's that little thing of someone actually saying, he survived. We go, okay, like that's, that's good. Um, but nobody told me. Um, so you have that kind of, you're kind of left with that. Mm. 
Um, is it almost, um, what's the word, a, a denial of, well, you, you're not able in this work to feel what we might call norman, normal human yeah. emotion. I often have that sense, well, a life is a life. And Neil talks about it in Code Blue. Yes. Some of the things that distressed him the most were the lives he lost. 100%. Um, and he would say that was one of the biggest traumas for him and yes. fears for him was to be working on a prisoner and to lose them. Yeah. Um, as he, he would admit, you know, in the interviews, and I pushed him about emotionally, what did that do? You say emotion's hard shit. I, I can't fucking deal with the emotion of yeah. what it did. Yeah. But in in the, the having PTSD and a bit like what you said and reflecting over that, yeah. I think he he would now say well, they had they had a far more impact than what I would have ever thought. hundred percent. Was that the sense that you had that that I'm living it and I'm seeing it and I'm feeling it, but I'm not allowed to feel it? Absolutely. I think 100%. I think, you know, one of the things, reading the book as well and, you know, and knowing Neil, you go, oh, I had no idea. I had no idea that, you know, he was going through the same things or, you know, there's other people and going, why did we never, we never spoke about that. And you, you, you do, like I read it and I just went, I never asked. You know, I had a million conversations, but never once of, are you really okay? Um, because it was, it was that kind of brush up. Yeah, yeah. And, and, right. and I think Neil would say that was an awareness that came to him after rather than 100%. at the time. He, and his family say it. Oh. Know, that that, that he, he wore it hard, but. Absolutely. He, and he, he just talked about the space he was in. I remember it was that yeah. after this incident, you know, and there was a, another incident I'll talk about shortly. It was kind of a bit of a build-up and I went, oh, I, need, I need a change. Um, and there was an opportunity to come up um, working within the court system and, you know, I took that. I was like, I've got to, I've got to make a change here. And I thought going up there it'd be less traumatic and I think that was um, – but I was probably a little bit wrong there and a little bit naive in my thinking as well um, because literally the day that I've resigned, um, it's the first time I used a defib. <laughs> and um, she came too. She survived and she – she came to and I remember this prisoner just put her arms around me and just went, thank you. And she was crying and crying and crying. And um, I'm like, it's okay. Like, it's all good. Like, you're safe. It's, it's okay. You had this really just, had this really just this human moment. And I went, like, it's pretty special. Like where you go, okay, well, you've got that trust and that respect mm. of each other as people. And my manager was like, how dare you let a prisoner put their arms around you like that? <laughs> I was like, there's that moment, it's that pendulum. There's that pendulum mm. of security and welfare. But you go, yeah, my pendulum, I needed to be more at that welfare. I knew that and I was very comfortable with that. Mm. Um, but it's that perception and it's that. And I was just like, what the fuck are you? Like, 
are you kidding me? Like you're you're calling me into your office to grill me over that not, hey, great, you know, yeah. Let's talk about everything else that led up to that incident where code was called, staff rose. Staff went, I don't know what to do here because I hadn't really dealt with it before. Um, and then I went in and then it's, you know, I'm directing staff and I'm calling for ambulance and I'm, you know, cutting the ligature off and I'm doing CPR and it's like, let's talk about those steps. Like, let's talk about the so stuff you've that... you've done, done the wrong thing, allowing a prisoner to hug you and thank you for saving her life. Yep. So I think that captures <laughs> the, um, you know, make a difference, change yeah. prisoners' lives, yep. um, be a part of their rehabilitation. It's almost where the waves clash, isn't it, when you actually do that um, it, because that's not being manipulated or that's not being conned or that's, absolutely that's a not. human I'm, I'm not about to go and put, you know, 100, 100 bucks in her canteen. Yeah. Um, so what did that do to you after that conversation? I mean, to have that missed totally and not only that, yeah. but you've acted inappropriately. I I literally resigned like that morning. that morning. So I just went, oh, I've definitely made the right choice yeah, here. I'm done. And I'm just like, I am so done. <laughs> and I spent that next, you know, few weeks very much like – I don't care. I'm done. I'm I'm switched right off here. Um, and I think, you know, there's, there's key incidents throughout and I think that was, you know, just the build-up and the common thing that comes back. And it's not – like I said, I had some amazing managers, but I don't think they were equipped to deal with, with staff and staff trauma. Um, a number of years sort of ago um, – I had a, a a prisoner that was quite sort of complex sort of mental health and um, over time had developed, you know, a rapport and there was times where they would be, you know, self-harming and if I was on shift, you know, can you come and, <laughs> can you come and talk to them or um, it was kind of that level. Um, but over time they developed a rather unhealthy kind of infatuation. Um, and I remember, I remember a psych nurse saying to me, hey, you should probably know something. I'm like, oh, yeah. Um, they've talked quite openly about taking your life. Oh, oh. Like, you probably should know that. Sorry, sorry, what? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, they they get released soon. Um, and there was me, and there was another another officer, and it was like, oh, hang on, and it was very descriptive. It was um, very calculated. They had asked questions about, you know, what the front. They were asking people about, you know, the. If they had a knife, would that get through the front door? Like all of very, very, very descriptive, um, very, very messed up. Um, and I went to the supervisor and went, you know, hey, what the hell do you know about this? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, it's fine. <laughs> it's, it's not fine. Like have you, has this been reported to police? 
Like, you know, we've got systems, we've got all those policies and procedures that were drummed into us, you know, when we went through recruit training. Has this been reported? Uh, yeah, no, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. And then the operations manager at the time, same kind of response, like no one no one cared, like it wasn't a big deal. And I'm like, to me, I'm going, hang on, this person gets released. Like, I honestly believe that this is a real a real thing, like, hang on. So I went to the police and went, you know, this is what's happening. No, And they're like, no, we haven't got anything. We haven't received anything. I kept going back to this supervisor. Yeah, yeah I've done it. I've done it. And I'm like, I'm talking direct with the police and they haven't received anything. And we had a process with police and then it was very, it was kind of played down and um. I was getting closer to the release date and I was shitting myself. Absolutely like and this other officer I had shared with them what I'd been told and you know, we, we unpacked a bit more and went, hang on, there's a real risk. There's an absolute real danger to to us and to our lives. Um and the the GM at the time went hang on, I'm going to give you, going to send you up to, you know, we'll send you to another location for four weeks. So, okay, cool, no worries. And and then it was the even the police themselves were going, is there still a real risk here? Um, and we got sent to a, a forensic psychologist that dealt with stalkers and stalking victims because um, there was sort of, I said, lots of sort of layers to it and, um, you know, at that stage I was, you know, we had to go into the city. <laughs> um, so we we're expected to go into the city where the, the incident could potentially take place. And then we had to go and see this person that the department provided to us with no thought of, hang on, there's, you know, the situation, the location. So I remember walking and I walked around with an umbrella everywhere with a pointy end on it. I walked around like that for months. Mm. Everywhere I went, I had an umbrella with a big, big like golf umbrella with a really super pointy end. Um, and I remember the psychologist saying, she's like, do you walk around like a meerkat? And I'm like, yeah, I do. And it was just constant when you're like looking. Mm. You're so hypervigilant and you're looking and I'd see someone that, you know, might look like I'm from behind and it's like that panic and um, – and then this psychologist was like, you know, she, she can't come back yet. Like, she's not ready to come back. And department were like, oh, we've paid for two sessions. You know, that's the rest is kind of up to you. And um, I saw my GP and that's I got diagnosed with um, PTSD. And I think in the PTSD diagnosis came from, you know, the build-up of, of other. And, and that's a, a, a massive jump into your own personal space, isn't it? Oh, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a work um, yeah. uh, and officers do play that down. Oh, yeah, they're all full of shit. So they all say all sorts of things. They're going to rape your wife and kill the dog and all oh, that sort yeah. of stuff. And, 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 and do put it down. But as an outsider... Um, there are people in prison that have a lot of psychiatric illnesses yep. that have all sorts of things that are yeah. where they threaten and you can't really ever say no, they're not capable not of doing that true. or wouldn't do that. So for, so is that just 
that wasn't seen as was that seen as you overreacting? One hundred percent. Don't take this shit seriously. Just yep. um One hundred percent. And it got to the point. So I ended up. I was off. I was off. So it was anxiety and and PTSD. And no one rang me. No one rang me. So I was maybe off for two months. Not one person rang to say, hey, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you all right? Do you need anything? No mm. one came to my house. Nobody, not one person rang. And I remember in that moment just going, just feeling so completely isolated and, you know, this had become, you know, a job that I overall I, I liked and um, I felt that I had a lot to give and I I ended up kind of got a return. I had someone from actually head office going, are you going to make a work cover claim? That was the only contact that I got. And I remember I returned um ended up sort of going through that sort of process. That was sort of the calls of, you know, take a step back in. And I had probably one of the biggest panic attacks that I'd had in that time. It was out the front of the location. And it was someone from, you know, the staff office that went, hey, like, come, like, come and come and sit with me. You know, you, you can't be by yourself at the moment. Um and I remember she sat there and I went through, you know, got to the other end of the panic attack and I sat with her and um, no one asked. Like, no, managers didn't ask, you know, fuck, you know, how are you? Or hang on, maybe you're not ready to come back. Or it was that, are you right? You good now? All right, well, this is where you are today. It was... Um, you know, did that, you know what was happening to you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I, I remember. I remember the first one. And I was just like, oh. and then I had another one that day as well. Um, and I, I said to one of the supervisors that had been involved early on, um, saying to them, "You did this to me." Just, you did this. And so I kept walking. So it was just like, and it was like, oh, hey, mate, no, no, no. I'm like, no. Like, you're done. Um, you've, I, I honestly felt that, yeah, it, it did sort of become to that where it was, um, you know, she said prisoners say things all the time. And it was like, how dare you make me feel undervalued? And then the flip side of it, when you have prisoners that say stuff about staff, it's taken with all the seriousness in the world. And you go, hang on, there's no balance here. Like, it's you need to look after the staff that you've got. And um, I remember taking, you know, after I after I resigned and um, – I went into a sort of sort of different path and, um, you know, COVID and, and things changed and um, I had the opportunity to go back and I did one day and I was like, nah. And it wasn't, it wasn't the prisoners. Mm. Never was. It's the staff. And I just go, you've just, you've got some 
absolutely incredible people, like individual people that I worked with, but you take them away from that environment, I think, and I just think, you know, you see people change just so much over time and so become so ingrained, but it's not... So it's not the prisoners. Um, and I think for some people they put on that shirt and it's just this, they feel that they've got to have this bravado and this, you know, I can't be weak or um, I can't seem to be have, you know, to have emotion or I can't. Uh, and I think they, they almost have that, you know, that, that blue security blanket. And, and you know, I, I can understand it from uh, the relationship with the prisoners. I can understand that some people will not be able to, um, that their mechanism will be to be the guardian or to be aloof or not connect. And officers will say that. I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to know what their lives are. I just want to manage them. So I understand not everybody is going to be able to do that. But I I suppose what really worries me totally is that disconnect from you as a person. Of, yeah. of the, I can't even see what you're going through. I can't see. I can't yeah. see that you're traumatized, or I can't see that you're having a panic attack, and and then not connect with it. I, I, no. You know, I just wonder whether that's that's one of those major areas that oh. you know. Why can't officers connect with? Other officers. Other officers at those times. Absolutely, and you know, there there would have been. It was first thing in the morning. So how many people walk past? And, and you kind of have that moment. You're like, the people around me, you're like, no one gives a shit about me. No one cares. Um, and you do, you look around. And you go, you don't care. You don't care. You don't care. So why should I care about you? So then you have that or, you know, like I said, you know, when you have incidents and you're, you're getting staff that weren't even rostered on, they go, oh, I would have done it better, I would have done it better and it's just like, it's not a pissing competition here. Like, you win. That's so what you So you never need. get a sense you're doing it well, is it? No, did, absolutely not. Did you ever not. have a sense no. that someone said, that, look, that was great or you did that really well or so to be and, – and, and a lot of people say to me those comments of, oh, well, we wouldn't have done that or you did that or – or all um, those sorts of comments and how harmful they are. Yeah. I remember um, had a had an incident where um, a prisoner had to be restrained and, um, you know, sort of situational and I was, you know, holding their head and kind of directing, you know, what I needed other people to do and I was very much, I was confident and in control. I had a male officer come up and physically push me like I was sort of, you know, kind of crouched down at the time, physically pushed me out of the way and like I hit, I fell into like a bench. I've got it. I've got it. And it's like I had it. And it's like what possessed you? Like. What did? What? what? Uh, because of the female. Female. And, and whether or not. And so you have that where you go, you know, chivalry I get and, you know. Appreciate it. But just ask me that. I said to him, like, just ask me, are you right to need a hand? Because I would have said. Well, and it's not a situation no, you're in personal danger. A hundred percent, no. You're managing a medical 
Oh, it was oh. just a, a prisoner at the time that had, yeah. had been aggressive and... Oh, okay, so there was some... Right. But it was, they were restrained and I've got, you know, there's four other people I'm, and we've got it. You do what you got to do, but, um, you know, and I said to him, you know, I, I had it. Like, you, you make me look stupid in front of other people. Mm. Um, but he just, like, couldn't just... Oh no no no! Like, I should have been there. Like you, you don't need to do that. Well, no, I do because I'm an officer. I wear a blue shirt. You wear a blue shirt. Mm. It's the same colour. Mm. Um, Did you feel uh, that it was changing you? Absolutely. Yeah. And it wasn't until I thought I had that. I had it in check when you know that getting changed before yes. work and getting changed after work, and I had this. A delusion, I think, that it was okay. And it wasn't until after my, I left that my kids said, oh, you're much nicer. You're much nicer because I – and then you kind of go back and you that reflection where you're like, yeah, it's pretty tough on them, you know, that kind of expectation of – I didn't quite get them to stand by their doors for, for muster, but um, the expectation on, you know, on, on behaviour and um, – you know, their rooms and it was just that. Um, the spillover. A hundred percent, hundred percent. And so it's, I look back and even, you know, I went back and I did a day as a casual and I just go, mm. oh, this is like, this is shit. Like, why would you do this? And It's interesting, it, isn't it, having had that time away yeah. to then go back and think, why would I want to go back to Why it? would I do this? And I was really fortunate during my time um, where I did secondments in different areas within corrections as well. I was very, very lucky. And um, I think there's other areas that um, do things really well, but I, but they're not run at the same kind of level of a prison. Mm. You know, community corrections and some of the things that they might see or hear is, is nothing like what happens in the prison. You know, you don't have a community corrections officer, you know, I've done that role and it's, it's not definitely not taking away from, from what you deal with there. It's it's quite different, but they're not walking into a cell to find someone dead or they're not walking in and finding someone that's, you know, self-harmed or, you know, the assaults and, and, and all of that, and I think it's almost like a bit of a blanket kind of, kind of response across. You know, it's like a, it's not a one size fits all model when you're dealing with staff and you're dealing with trauma. Um, I think within the prison system, it it absolutely should be very specialised, and I think it's that that reflection and it's um, teaching staff early on 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 dealing with with stress and recognising it within themselves and each other. Um, and training managers to deal with trauma. You know, it's it, it comes up to them and, and they need to be able to create an environment where a staff member can actually go in and go, I ain't okay. Mm-hmm. Like I just need to talk. And, no, and know that they can have a conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. And it may just be having that, okay, you know, maybe this environment – you know, you've got this amazing skill set and experience, mm. but maybe let's have a chat and see if we can get you a secondment, you know, 
it could be, you know, community corrections or wherever it is, just to go, well, yeah, they're going to benefit from from mm. you, but having that time away. And I think that's why I took on secondments. When I look back at it, I just go, that was why. It was my way of going, okay, I need a, I need a break. Um, but the best thing I ever did was, was leave um, and it was that, that time away where I had that sort of reflection where you go, wow. And was there any understanding of your PTSD? Um, did anybody connect with that no. in terms of, well, you know, you almost not expect it but there's a high risk of it. Was there any sort of um, any awareness of the price you've paid to do the work? None. None at all. None at all. Um, there was nothing. And it said, so I remember, you know, coming back and there was nothing. There was no kind of ease in. There was no, you know, hey, let's, you know, one of us will meet you at the train station and, and you know, walk with you yeah. or... Um, and I think perhaps even at the time where you go, I don't know if I necessarily knew what I needed either, but that's where you need someone to go, hey, this is what's this is what's going to happen. <laughs> you go, okay. And, and to have the systems in place. And maybe things have changed a little. Yeah, um, oh, absolutely. But I don't know that they've changed much in from training to, no. to work. Uh, I have too many officers say to me, you're just thrown into the deep end. And um, so that in those early days, I really pick up how helpful that would have been at your first slash up, at your first suicide, yeah. at your first assault, um, to have a proper system that's informed by what you've now experienced. In, in how much has it still come back to you now? Oh, there's moments, like I said, you know, if I see dreadlocks, I straight away, like I, it's a feeling that comes, comes over me or, you know, I've run into, you know, always do and I always will, you know, run into prisoners, you know, that if people have been released and I kind of walk past and I kind of look and you kind of go, the look that you get, you go, oh yeah, I probably know where, <laughs> yep, you, you know, yeah, yeah. I am who you think I am. Um, but I I think there's a lot of great things that can be done. I, I try and sort of reflect back on some of the, the real positive moments um, and as you said, you know, you're going in and that rehabilitation, you know, I remember... I'd done a sort of secondment and I had a man that he goes, oh, I remember you when I first came in to prison. I'm like, you know, it was, you know, five, six years earlier. And I'm like, oh, I'm really sorry. Like I don't, you know, I don't, I don't remember you. He's gone, no, I remember you because you walked me up the stairs and you, he goes, I was really scared. And he goes, and you said to me, that's okay, we've got no no hurry. He goes, and you asked me about where I was from and um, what did I do? And he goes, you were the first person that spoke to me like I was a human in the last couple of weeks. You know, he obviously, you know, come into custody and had gone through that whole process. He said, 
I remember you. And I was like, oh, like, thank you. And he goes, the fact that you don't remember that moment, he goes, I think that's because it's just you. And then I kind of went, oh, yeah, I do do that. Quite like, a perceptive reflection. It really was. Yeah. And you go, oh, that's good. Like I'm, I'm glad that that two-minute interaction um, changed his – you know, how his last few weeks had been. That's rehabilitation. But that's in a way, yes, that's what you've been kindness. taught to, to do. That's what the system yeah. wants you to do. Um, and yet then that's looked at as you're a prisoner lover or... That's, a, and, you um, know, I'd have prisoners that would, you know, I'd be working in a different area or something or a different unit and they'd come in and... I remember, you know, a manager saying, oh, you know, it's been reported that this prisoner's come to your unit a few times over the last few days. I'm like, yeah, if he comes in, miss, have you got a minute? Yeah, yeah, mate, like I've got time. I'm like, it's a conversation. Like, and it's it's not just, um, it, it, you know, I remember this young guy was, you know, this is what I want to do when I get out. And it's like, oh, how can I do this? And it's like, you know, you've got this quality, you've got that quality, you know, this is how you could go about it. And um, he'd just been sentenced for a lengthy period of time. So it was just like, it's okay. Like, um, but if I take five minutes to have a conversation and that means that that person doesn't self-harm, or they don't get into altercation with somebody else, I'm doing my job. Or they feel they were worth talking to, you know. Or they actually feel like they're a person, yeah. not a CRN. Like, it's, you go, that's my job. And, you know, I was very much about, you know, please and thank you. Um, you know, if you want something, you say please. If you get something, you say thank you. And I remember prisoners asking me, going, you're always banging on. You always tell me to say please. I'm like, yeah, because you get more, you know, when you go out in the community and you say please to somebody or you say thank you, just basic manners goes a long, long way. They're not at all. So these are basic skills you can use out, you know, when you go get out of here. Um, you know, I remember having a, a you know, a, a prisoner that, um, his wife was giving birth. So I kept ringing the hospital. You know, I was getting, I was like the conduit, getting the updates and letting him know when, you know, I was the one that got to tell him, you know, you've, it's a boy. It's a boy. <laughs> you know, and you go, it was a really like quite a special moment, you know, and, you know, he was like really anxious obviously and, you know, he was hanging around the desk a lot and I was giving the updates and, um, and then when like his wife came in for a, she was coming in for a visit and he's like, miss, miss, like she's coming in. Can you come down with me? Well, what do you need me to come down for? And he goes, I want you to meet the baby. <laughs> uh, you're like, I'd love to. Like that's, you know, mm. thank you. And, um, and he goes, that's just being human. That's. That's just showing somebody kindness and care and compassion and you're a role model. So that's your job is to role model good behaviour. If you're sitting there telling people to fuck off 
and that you don't care and you don't give a shit and you're not interested, that's role modelling behaviour as well. That's not pro-social. Do you feel if people had have connected with your emotional pain Mm. at what this job delivered to you, if people have really connected with that and, and cared and done everything they could to have supported yeah. you and to understand you, what difference would that have made? I potentially could still be there. Yeah, I was going to ask that question. <laughs> like you, you, you go into it. No, but you do. Yeah. You, you go into it going, you know, I've got something to, to really to, to give here and I think everyone's got something that they can give. But I think it just gets beaten out of you yeah. after a while and I think I just tried and it go, you know, it got harder and harder. You go... But to stay true to me, I remember my squad manager saying, you need to be you because prisoners know when you're, um, you know, not being yourself or you're trying to put on a persona or, you know, if you're trying to pretend that you're seven foot and invincible, they know that you're only five foot ten, <laughs> you know, um, and I remember that and it's just like I'll, you try and just be true and you go, yep, I'll, I'm going to give you five minutes of my time because, you know, it's it's worth it or, um, you know, I'd have said, you know, having a prisoner come up and go, hey, miss, these two assholes are out there saying this, this and this about you. I'm telling you because I respect you. That's something... I go, well, that's a good thing. <laughs> and it's, there's nothing in that. There's just, it's respect. It, <laughs> respect is earned. Yes, there's irony everywhere in, in that, that they hear two officers talking about you yeah. and go, that's wrong. Absolutely. That's, that's not right. And but we, you, we, officers don't know that that's not right. And, yeah. um, but then it's that, that, I think that perception and I think, you know, there's some officers I think that they go, oh, well, oh, hang on. Like if I had said, oh, no, it was this prisoner that told me, oh, yeah, oh, well, that must be something going on or they, they mm. automatically jump. And I think because officers see your strength as a deficit of their own and they don't have that self-reflection where they go, mm. oh, actually, you actually do that really well. Mm. You know, maybe actually instead of... Um, putting knives into my back, maybe learn, maybe take a minute and, um, it, it just as a, um, as a final, um, reflection, one of the things that's really come through to me so, so clearly is there's lots of focus around the, the connecting with prisoners and then all of the debates that come within that and, yep. and the inconsistencies that come within that. And then there is that, 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 code blue, you know, and Neil talks about that yeah. when you're all in there. And I think there's something in there that most of us don't understand in, in terms of, I can hate your guts, but I know oh. you, you, you'll be there to protect me. There's something in that that's quite special. That it's I really I, bizarre. I, I don't think any of us <laughs> would understand. I think it's very special. No. But then there's the, uh, you know, it just has come through me so clearly, the biggest issue is that officers have to connect with each other at a deeper level than giving the EAP card, than ticking the trauma training box, than they actually need to connect at a far deeper level 
in their understanding if the culture's going to shift. And it's come – I've been. I know, I've known that. But yeah, it, yeah. Uh, it's just come through to me, the enormity of getting officers that are behaving in that way and are so disconnected from the pain of other officers that might be aware mm. of it, might give them the card or go, you okay, yeah, that's good, no problem, but to actually really connect after those major traumas. Yep. And in actual fact, I think about it, very – some officers will tell me that there was care that, that – uh, and, and – Sadly, that you didn't get it, no. but might get a phone call or might get a follow-up. But is, is there a real connection over the pain and yeah. an understanding of the pain? Is that a fair reflection? 100%. That, yeah. 100%. And I think, you know, it needs to come from above. Absolutely mm. needs to come from above. And I think, you know, you have morning... understand how difficult it's going to be. I think if you have morning parades and you've got, you know, a, an operations manager or a general manager stand up and go, I'm not okay, or you know, or talk about some of their own, unpack some of their own perhaps trauma that they can share where you go, oh, actually, well, they're doing it. And I think that kind of flows down. But yeah, I think... connect with it. I think a lot of, you know, sort of senior management, and I think, you know, they, they do things very well. You know, it can run a prison, but um, I think that they've just become so so disconnected from their own trauma perhaps that it's just easier to kind of they've packed that so tightly away that I think being able to provide support and care to someone else is a bit too much. It will hurt them too much. It hurts them, yeah. Last question. Are you okay? I am good. I am good. Uh, Are you feeling in a better place than when you left? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um. It, it was definitely time. It was probably over time, if I'm honest. Um, and I just think, you know, being a sort of a part of that, I think if, you know, if this can kind of open up, I guess, the ears and the eyes of others, um, I, I think in terms of my contribution to change is in a different capacity now. Mm. And, and I think as uncomfortable it will be for some people to listen Mm. It's where it's all got to start. <laughs> you, you can't change the life of an officer if you don't understand it. That's and, exactly um, right. Um, and the, the uh, flashbacks and the faces are a bit oh, less yeah. intense. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, now, and it's like I knew where there is prisoner that, um, where they lived, exactly where they live, um, and that kind of area of, I've probably – Probably recently, in the last probably maybe six, 12 months, I've been able to go there right. on my own and feel okay. And I'm not a meerkat. No. So <laughs> quite happy with that. So is the hypervigilance coming down? Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. And it's, like I said, it's just in this particular area and where this person's from that if I'm there, and unfortunately it's close to where I live uh, now, um, that's definitely gone. Mm. Um, and I know I don't think there'd be too many people other than someone that's been through it that could really yeah. quite understand yeah. what that's like. Yeah, absolutely. Maggie, I can't thank you enough for thank sharing you. your story. I really can't. I I always learn so much yeah. from these types of mm. conversations and 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 they often really reiterate thoughts that I have. Um, but, you know, as I mentioned before, we need to hear people talk about their own lives and their own experience and not not negate them, not put another story to them, but actually kind of go, okay, that was Maggie's story and yep. I need to 
to listen to it. So can't thank you enough. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for joining me on this latest episode of Trauma from the Frontline. If you are enjoying this series, please make sure you follow us on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And if you find this information valuable, we ask that you rate the show five stars. If you would like to get in touch with me, please feel free to email me at bruce at letstalkdifferently.com.au. Until the next episode, please take care. If this episode has raised any issues for you, free counselling is available through your organisation's employee assistance provider, Lifeline on 131 114 or Beyond Blue on 1300 224 636.